0: Good morning, everybody. It's good to see some of everyone's faces, but not all. Uh, I'm glad that you could be here with us this morning. Um, And also, thank you to Darren for being willing to read. Sort of asked you last minute, but thanks for being a good sport. Um, so as, uh, Elder Jerry has announced, and as we have seen the video of Anne and just a few, a uh, couple of weeks ago, we've actually met Alan and he to- he talked about, uh, Genesis and the law and Greece. So, uh, we, we know two missionaries already through Hog 4, uh, and we're also focusing this month On uh, hearing their stories, hearing about the work of God around the world, as well as in the state of California, as well as in the cities of San Jose, Saratoga, Cupertino, etc. Today, I wanted to go back um, and talk a little bit about Matthew 28, the passage in Matthew 28, because these are the final words of Jesus in that gospel. These are the last words, and then the book ends. And these final words have been discarded, forgotten, and often misinterpreted throughout history. However, with rises and reformations, especially the Protestant Reformation, scholars and preachers and teachers have revisited the essence of these final words. There is an emphasis placed on them because they are the final words, right? So It doesn't really make sense as to why people didn't really pay attention to the very end of this gospel. Perhaps, though, this passage was set aside for a time and a place in human history when the global missions movement would reshape the trajectory of history. Today, I will not teach on history. It gets boring. But rather, we're going to reflect on what missions means, where it applies, and what it applies to the church and the surrounding community. As we look into the month of November, we as the Church at Home of Christ in Saratoga is highlighting the lives and work of missionaries who have been called to go into the cities, both in the US and abroad, to fulfill this very commission right before us this morning. And these people have indeed been called. And listening to their stories, how do we respond? If we sit back and observe, we are not fulfilling the Great Commission. Likewise, if we leave it up to people like Anne and Alan to just do the work while we busy ourselves with schoolwork and work work, then we are discarding, like, the his- like history, the interpretation, of Jesus's words in Matthew 28. I don't wanna make you feel bad, no. Rather, I would like to propose that we come to an understanding of these words so that we can multiply the efforts of Anne and Alan and others like them here in Northern California. But before we do that, let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, as we open your word and look at the story of Jonah and we reflect on Jesus's ministry on earth, we are humbled by the fact that from the beginning, mission, mission work has been the foundation of the biblical story. How powerful that is that throughout history, men and women went from their homes or made their homes the mission field where they served others, where they loved them, where they cared for them, or where they listened for them. As we look into these two uh, passages today, may we be attentive and may we be called to change if that is necessary. We praise you and we are in awe of your work in creation. In your name we pray, amen. So, as we have already kind of read this morning, you know that we're going to be talking about the book of Jonah. Uh, and it is one of the first examples that comes to mind when we think about biblical missions before Christ. Interestingly, though, Jonah is the story of a guy who bluntly disobeyed God and chose to go in the opposite direction of the mission field. Funny that we choose him today. And yet, The will of God was not limited by Jonah's disobedience. Just a quick recap of the story. If you remember, Jonah was thrown overboard and swallowed by a great fish on his way, not to the city of Nineveh. He was called to this great city that was living in sin. And Jonah didn't want to go there for the right reasons. In the belly of the fish, which I'm sure you can imagine smelled really, really bad. Jonah repented he repented of his disobedience to God he accepted the will of God to bring the people of Nineveh to repentance through Jonah and while we think that Jonah disobeyed we have to understand his position the people of Nineveh were not good people the people of Nineveh were known to be bad so we can't judge Noah his decision to go in the opposite direction from potential threats that he might have encountered in Nineveh. We know from the story that after he was, you know, thrown out by the fish, discarded, uh, that he eventually made it to Nineveh. As he entered the city gates, he spoke to the people, calling them to repent as the Lord had commanded him, to change their habits of evil and to turn to God to turn to good, and they did. The people of Nineveh, the people who committed some of the most heinous crimes known to humankind were forgiven by God. I'm sure that we too have places on our minds that we consider corrupt, deprived, empty of good. Do we, like Jonah, take an exclusive look on these places? Do we too consider them outside the goodness that God unequivocally bestows upon all? Through the first three chapters of the book of Jonah, we see that this is a wrong idea that we often hold. But in moments when our faith in God is met with the unexpected, how do we respond? We'll look at how Jonah responds in just a few minutes. But first, Let's go back to Matthew 28 and think about that passage. Because in many ways, there is parallelism between Jonah's story and the disciples. Now, Matthew 28, verses 16 through 17 reads, Then the eleven disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some of them doubted. Here we find ourselves post Christ's victorious resurrection. This is kind of like the departures area in an airport. The anticipation, maybe some anxiousness pre-Christ ascension is mixed with overtones of doubt. And we'll speak of that doubt in just a minute, but let's not miss the statement that comes right before. When they saw him, they worshipped him. Yes, there is doubt, but it is mixed with overflowing hope, faith, and worship. And the author places these two contrasting reactions of faith, hope, and doubt right next to one another, showing us that these two can coexist side by side. And we experience them on a daily basis The question, though, is do we allow our doubt to prevent us from doing and believing? And do we have a hope that's so up in the clouds that eliminates us from the sense of individual and communal responsibility to act? Notice that while these two can coexist with one another, doubt doubt and hope, They also have similar qualities of limitation. And it is that limitation that brings us to an understanding of missions. We are limited because sometimes we over-doubt and sometimes we over-hope. We acknowledge though, this is the foundation, we acknowledge that we are overflowed with hope, but also overwhelmed with doubt. And in that moment, we pronounce the power of God, the provision of God and the steadfast love of God, the force behind all of our actions. Friends, we believe in that power, but at the same time, we face doubt in the most unprecedented moments when we're all alone. Is it necessary to diminish our doubt, fear, and anxiety because of the grace we have received? No, I don't think so. As we see in this passage in Matthew 28, in every situation, there are moments when we can worship and there are moments when we can doubt. And Jesus speaks to that doubt. He reassures that all authority, and we will see this soon, has been given to him on heaven and on earth. The Christ who died and resurrected in order to bring about the opportunity for us to believe does indeed hold authority over life and death because he has conquered both. But Jonah was before Christ, he lived before. And Jonah prefers death over life when things don't go according to plan. When the people of Nineveh actually come to God and repent, and all of a sudden, Jonah is just really not happy about the justice of God. God, you should have punished the evildoers, and yet you give them mercy and frustrated. In addition to that, it's really hot. The the tree that was providing shade is now demolished. The sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die. Death is certainly better than living like this, he exclaimed. The tree that God uh, brought up, which com- uh, brought comfort to Jonah, now withered, according to the will of God. And on top of that, that uh, in the previous verses, as we saw it and Darren read, God sent. A hot east wind. Last year, I I went to Israel and we studied uh, the city of Jericho, its history, its uh, many battles, wars, etc, etc. And on the day that we got to visit the city, it was 120 degrees Fahrenheit. It was very, very hot. So what we would do is we would uh, get a pitcher of water and just wet our hats, our head coverings and our scarves, which we wore around our necks and just kind of wrapped it around to cool off because it was just, it was impossible. You wouldn't even sweat, it was just dry heat. Within less than five minutes, our wet garments were dry. It was miserable because the east wind in the land in the Middle East brings about some of the most intense weather temperatures. And while we laugh at Jonah for his complaining nature, how often do we like Jonah wish for different outcomes? When we are uncomfortable, how much do we long for comfort? How frustrated when we we become when things don't go according to plan? Perhaps we have pronounced words similar to Jonah, wishing death rather than life, doubting that there is meaning in life. Do we allow our doubts of life hinder us from living? Dear friends, I pray that you do not allow this doubt to guilt you into believing that you are unworthy of Christ's attentiveness. Do not fear doubt, but allow it to transform as you see the created order around you, as you see the image of God in the faces of other people as you discover the richness of the scriptures. Doubt, question, but do not stop there. Search, look, and consider this response which Jesus said, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Even this week, which has been quite anxious, we have have seen some individuals rise in power while others fall. Many of us celebrate the outcomes yet we know that in four years it may be hard it may be hard to once again predict who will be in power to predict the outcome. But we have this knowledge that Jesus who was 2,000 years that Jesus who claimed this authority 2,000 years ago, Jesus is today. He has been granted authority and with this authority, he commands the 11 to make, go and make disciples. But let's not leave Jonah in his frustrations just yet, because we have to see the power of God in this even, in this doubt. Then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Yes, Jonah retorted, even angry enough to die. Then the Lord said, you feel sorry about the plants, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and died quickly. And I forgot to include this very important verse in the scripture reading, so I will read it now. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? Here we see that God is over all of creation. He is great and mighty, but at the same time he is full of compassion and steadfast love for all people, not just some, for all. And God's love throughout the story of the Bible has been for the nations he cares and in his care he expresses his feeling of sorrow for his beloved children and taking this into the context of missions once again in matthew 28 we are told to go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit we are called to go where to all nations (laughs) We are called to make disciples, but perhaps a more literal understanding of it is, is that we are called to make friends. As Jesus considered the 11 to be his friends, so do we fulfill the work of Jesus by being friends to others. This is the Great Commission. Isn't it really cool to think about the the fundamentals that one of the most fundamental social qualities of you know our human condition making friends being social is according to the commandment of Jesus Christ Jesus call to mission does not require for us to change our life completely rather Jesus simply calls us to mission calls Jesus call to mission simply invites us to cultivate what we have been granted the ability to interact with others, to build relationships, and through that, to see the face of God in other people. In light of that, we call ourselves Christians, which translates as Little Christ, or in the plural, Little Christs. The the reason we chose this title is that we are continuing the work of Christ who was only present on the earth physically for 33 years, but remains present in spirit. And we call ourselves little Christ's, as in we are, you know, the agents fulfilling the work that he had begun, which was serving, healing, praying, listening, teaching, etc. So if we call, we claim this identity as Christians, how do we should care for the nations? for our friends, as much as God cared for the people of Nineveh. Of course, we are only human, but we are made with the capacity to love and to care and to give to our communities. So the first part is to make friends with all nations. The second part is to baptize them in the caring and loving name of the Trinity. This baptism is the showing of our actions to the ones we love through care, through the care that God showed to the people of Nineveh. It is forgiving to those, it is being forgiving to those who might have wronged us. It is loving people despite where they are coming from. Through these actions, we invite people into the kingdom. We boldly invite because we have also already been invited. So the next verse in Matthew twenty eight twenty is, to teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given you And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Part of the invitation includes telling people what the kingdom is really about. When Jesus tells us to teach others to obey his commandments, he is first and foremost expecting that we first obey and practice these commandments ourselves. And what are these commandments? They're simple, love God. Love your neighbor. This is the core of Christ's teaching, the core of his commandments, the core of his ministry on earth. As we come together to worship God, we demonstrate that commitment to those rules, teachings. But we further that commitment as we show love to others, regardless of who they are, what they have done, or what they might do. There is no excuse to demonstrate hate towards any individual. But in in critical moments, are we hesitant to be kind, to be understanding? Do we stop to listen to someone or do we just ignore them because we're busy? If we don't stop and if we don't listen, we are not fulfilling the Great Commission. So let's go back to the statements of who those disciples and friends that we are called to teach, who are they? They are the nations, right? Jesus tells us to build friendships that are culturally diverse. And just this morning, as I was reflecting, I came to realization that the Bay Area is one of those places. Having lived in different parts of the world, I have seen diversity play into the vibrancy of a culture, but never have I lived in a more international community than the Silicon Valley is. Friends, we are called to make friends with all the nations, Chinese, Indian, Russian, Korean, Latinx, Japanese, Kazakh. (laughs) This is where we are called. So if you take anything away from our conversation today is that I hope you continue being a good friend to your classmates and to your coworkers who probably don't come from the same background as you do. This is the commandment of the Lord. Also, we are a congregation of young people. And for some of us, it's easier making friends than for others, but that's not really what it's about. It's not about how easy or difficult it is to make friends. The question is, how do we cultivate our friendships in light of what we know Do we get upset when our friends receive blessings which they don't deserve? Do we get frustrated with God because our friends are favored at school or at work? If we do, we know from Jonah's narrative that God is still greater than our frustration and that he cares for the people that are in your life and he cares for you. In moments when we doubt, about that or that we doubt that we're truly fulfilling the commission said before us may we be reminded of these words before us i am with you always even to the end of the age god was with jonah in the belly of the fish in the city of nineveh under the tree in the scorching wind not only that but god spoke to Jonah. He listened to Jonah's frustrations and he showed his deep care for Jonah and for the people of Nineveh. Christ who was a friend and teacher to the 11 disciples also spoke to them, spoke to their fears and doubts. He did not diminish those fears and doubts. Instead, he provided assurance that he would remain with them forever that his authority and watchfulness over the world would not cease. He gave clear, simple instructions. Love God, love people. That is the Great Commission. So now in conclusion, how does this tie to our conversation of missions here at Hawk 4? Three questions come up. Who is called to fulfill the Great Commission? All who proclaim and believe that indeed Christ, who was, now is because of his resurrection. People like Anne and Alan have been called to serve in LA and San Diego, respectively, to equip young people to multiply their own disciples. We need people like Anne and Alan to be shepherds, to guide, to teach. It is through their stories that we are made aware of the multiplication of friendship through Christ in California and around the world. But we are also the ones to fulfill the Great Commission here in the Silicon Valley. There are so many of us represented here. Let us not lose the opportunity to show outstanding love towards one another, towards our classmates, towards our coworkers towards our families. At the same time, let us not stop supporting the work of Anne and Alan, both through prayer and giving. Supporting those who have come out of our congregation to serve others is part of the great commission. It is caring for the needs of Anne and Alan. As the writer of Hebrews instructs, don't forget to do good and to share with those in need. These are the sacrifices that please God. Now, this is all good, but how do we once again, go back to the whole COVID thing and contextualize this commandment? More than ever, so many of us experience some form of anxiousness or stress. And we may choose to come to God, knowing that he listened to Jonah, he will listen to us. He is with us always, and he cares for us. Through the peace that we receive from this revelation, how do we multiply it to our friends, our coworkers, and our families? Practically, we call them, we write to them. We seek out a time to ask how someone else is doing, We really ask, not just in a passing way. And as Christ and as God showed us, we listen. And perhaps this is the healing of which the president elect Joe Biden spoke of last night. Yes, we the church may stand as healers in this time. We are called to be peacemakers and friends. And more than ever, this is the time to do it. This is the time to listen to what Anne and Alan do in their respective locations, to unite in prayer for their ministry. And likewise, go and do good unto others, knowing that all authority of our actions in heaven and on earth belong to Jesus, the Prince of Peace and the Lord of Lords. That's it for my message this morning. I hope that it was encouraging and insightful. Um, And now we can go into a time of worship.